step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. And welcome to the Neil Haley Show. And we're working again with uh, my co-host Juan Aliman of the '80s Hour Podcast. Juan, how are you, man? What's going I'm on? I'm doing great. Had a great weekend. So, uh, how are you? I'm doing great. And I know you're excited about our guest, especially how she's really big time '80s for sure. So, go ahead and introduce our guest. Oh, most definitely. I um, when you told me, I got super excited. And I did all this research because I wanted to have some good questions for her. But today we're interviews we're interviewing uh, a lead singer of Missing Persons, Dale Bozio. How are you today, Dale? Hey, thank you very much. It's very nice to, to be here and, and to have your time to chat today. Thank you. Yes, I'm, I'm great. Super good. You um, have an interesting career. You have a long, very long career between acting, writing music, singing music, uh, performing in, in tours around the world and everything that you've done. What, what made you know that this was for you? To, I mean, at the very beginning, because you went to school for you to study drama, but uh, from what I found out, it, you know, you didn't like it that much. so. What made you go into music? What made you decide that avenue? Well, it was it was all Frank Zappa. I mean, really, I, I didn't really want to be a singer. I didn't think that I did anyway, not um, at the time. I, I love it now, of course. I, I'm, I'm enthralled and so grateful that I have uh, the pipes. But I, um, it was all because of Frank. I ran into Frank Zappa, and um, I had gone to California to 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 work for um, Hugh Hefner at the mansion, and I was expecting to move in. But when I got there, he did not come downstairs to talk to me, and he acted really strange. He one was waving me upstairs with his pipe. So I left and I le and, and, and ended up running into Frank Zappa that day. And Frank asked me to, to be this girl, Mary, on Joe's Garage, which now is infamous. But I, I know <laughs> I said, Frank, I don't know how to sing. I came to Hollywood to be a movie star. And he just cracked up laughing. He, he started laughing hysterically. And he, he, he looked at me in this like awkward way 
and I, I knew he believed me. <laughs> that, was, that was the real funny part of it. <laughs> he believed me <laughs> because I was really serious. I really, I wanted to be a movie star. And, and then it, that didn't work out. So he thought that was just the funniest thing ever. And it went on from there. Like that, that was my relationship with Frank. We, I mean, I, I would crack joke, jokes and Frank would laugh. <laughs> <laughs> the, so, so interesting when you talk about uh, Dale, about Frank and stuff, uh, would you say he really was such a big integral part of you in your career in a lot of ways? Oh, yeah, absolutely. He, 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 he was the string really that, that, that thread me together. And in such a strange way, because when I met Frank, I, I wasn't thinking anything, you know, about Frank. I, I just loved him and wanted to say hello to him. I never thought, oh, yeah, I got to go. I got to go meet Frank. I got to go be in Frank's band. No, that was not on my mind. Uh, it was just a matter of reflecting it, his music. And other than that, um, so when one step led to another with me being in the Joe's garage and then then I had a really a, a tragic accident. I was only in L.A. for six months. I was 21 years old. I made that record with Frank and saying, I don't want to get drafted with Frank. Um, and, and then pretty much uh, I had a terrible accident. I was only in L.A. for six months. I was 21 years old. And then um, I fell out a window 40 feet, and I woke up, and I was in Frank's living room. <laughs> and um, I was slipping in and out of a coma. <clears throat> but Frank's wife, Gail, took me in. And um, wow. I, was, I, I was really, I had fallen 40 feet out of a window, split my head open, and cracked my ribs and my kneecaps. So I was pretty uh, out of it uh, for a while. <clears throat> and it took me a long time to recover. So it was Frank so every time that and then I woke up. Uh, he, he sort of strung me together because then I woke up back and I was in Boston. I had got off life support machine and all this stuff, addicted to morphine and what have you. and. Frank ends up in Boston playing a concert, and I and Terry called me at my home with with my mom, and told me you know Frank was going to be there and and that they'd come over and visit me after the concert. So I'm like I I kind of somehow don't think that Frank's going to come to my house <laughs> and Medford and visit me right now. Uh -uh. Um, so make a long story short, I thought. Okay, I guess I better go to the concert or I'll probably never get to see Terry and, and Frank Zapper again. And this was in, uh, I believe it was in 77. And then Frank said, okay, I'm picking you up tomorrow and we're going to Europe and you're going to come with us on this European tour. So I went on tour with Frank just as a person, you know, just along for the ride with Terry. And of course, because I made Frank laugh, and believe me, they, Frank, Frank didn't allow just anybody along with him on a tour, <laughs> especially of Europe. <clears throat> so I had to be on my best behavior. 
And uh, all the whole time, he, he just looked at us like there was something going on, you know. He, he was so inspiring between Terry and I, and he, he did... He, he did push me to be next to Terry quite a bit. Even after we were divorced, he, he said, you know, you should get back to with Terry again. See if you can put the marriage back together. <laughs> like, I don't think it's up to me, Frank. And and so it never really, we never got back together. But we did end up making Bing Fish together with Frank once again. And um, I just continued to sing or be professing my voice because that's where Frank led me and it stayed with me. Okay. Now you met Terry with Frank and then in 80, you started Missing Persons. Was there anyone else in Missing Persons that that worked with Frank or how did you meet everyone? How did everyone come together to make such a great band? Well, Patrick O'Hearn, the bass player, he worked with Frank as well. And so did Chuck Wilde. He studied with, he worked with Frank for a minute too. And um, Terry Bonzio was with Frank. And then Laurie Cucarulo was with Frank. And I made records with Frank, but never went on tour with Frank. I never went on stage with Frank. And so Frank turned to us one day and said, you should put a band together, call it the Cute Persons. And me, Terry, and Lauren looked at each other and went, I got an album cute. But <laughs> so they came home one day and said, Okay, we got it. We'll be the missing persons. We're missing from Frank. And that's what we decided on. And 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 Lauren was at the time playing with Frank and he actually, you know, stopped playing with Frank and started playing with me and Terry. And we didn't have anything. We had nothing. We started from scratch. Wow. So did you think that the missing persons when you formed the band would be something that was going to have the success it did? Uh, well, yes, part of, part of me did because I was reaching for the moon as I do. <laughs> I have high hopes. And so, yes, I'm very grateful that it did uh, work out this way. Um, about the 80s thing, uh, I never really thought about that much. So, you know, in the 80s, when I we did try to get these record deals from even including David Geffen, they would send me a rejection letter back saying, this is not the direction of the music the 1980s. And I would just sit there and laugh and rip off these letters. I should have saved them, but I didn't. I like just ripped them to shreds to the tiniest little pieces I could. <laughs> how it started and that gave me so much ammunition 
in in my prowess to just go further and further and further. And every step I took with missing persons, I pushed it a little bit over the edge because I knew I was being supported by geniuses. Geniuses. Terry Bozio, Patrick O'Hearn, Warren Cucalulo, Frank Sappo, who gave us his studio, brand new studio, said, go get Ken Scott, who just finished doing the, the, the production of, the, of Red uh, Let's Dance by David Bowie, and get, get Ken Scott, come in here, use a brand new Kurtz while, I mean, come on, this is back in 79, so we're going back a while, right? There were right. recording studios, and you had to do this from the beginning to the end. There wasn't, you know, turn on the, the computer baloney. So we really went to work, and Frank said, use my studio, take it over, get it done. I'll see you when I come back in a few days from New York, and... I'll listen to it. And we did. And we did. And we took this, this very seriously into heart. And those songs are hits today. And those songs went on from Frank's studio that he gave us for free that day, that weekend, and, and for his whole life, what he gave us. He gave us the stage. He, he shared his whole support system with Terry Warren and I. We need to visit his grave. On, on a regular basis, Terry Warren and I, and, and meet there, but they won't. I've asked them before to meet me there, but they won't, and they don't. I, I'm I'm much more compassionate than my fellow friends, and I'll, I'll keep it that way because it, it, it floats my boat. I, I, I love to be in remembering of the ones I love, and that's one of my greatest loves is Frank. And he was only my friend. He kissed me on the forehead three times in my life. He kissed my son, Shane, on the forehead when he was one year old. He stopped the, the, the 27-piece harmonic orchestra to come and kiss him on the forehead and sing him happy birthday that day. It blew my mind. It blew my mind. Wow. He was only my friend. He was only my friend. That was it. And I know, I know he loved me. I know he, I know he loved me as a human being <clears throat> and he was the only person i know that could <laughs> uncommittingly love you really really so i admire his children and you know i wish them great great wellness and and peace of mind knowing that their father was such an incredible genius i that's I can't a beautiful think. sentiment right there dale um after missing persons because we talked a, a bit about missing persons but you had a solo album called riot in english that uh you did on the paisley park album i mean on the paisley park label what was it like working with prince you know i didn't work with prince that's the thing um, wow we had we had a love affair but we didn't work together he wrote a song for me um i've never been to paisley park um, he wrote a song for me called So Strong. It's mm -hmm. really beautiful. It's on uh, Riot in English. But I never went to Paisley. He never worked on my records. He didn't sing on my records or play on my records or anything. He gave me his engineer coke and all his guitars and his drums over at the studio, Sunset Sound. And I went in there for a couple of days and made my first song, Simon Simon, 
and then I continued to record there. And uh, he loved it. He jumped up and down. He made a big giant billboard that said Dale Bozio for president. And he, he loved it. He loved it. And he loved me. I know he did. He was, you know, he was a sensitive kind of guy. And so he, he did have a bit of a attitude or some sort or something. Um, they're very delicate, very delicate guy. I, I, I know the world loves him, you know, and, and me too. So, and his music is, is historic. I mean, there's not, there's not much you can say, um, <laughs> bad about him. You know, he he's, he's had his loves of life and such and so, so. But, you know, it's not really measured by his money or women, or are they? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how did you first meet Prince? Well, I, I went to this place called Tramp, Tramps. It was a club at the Beverly Center in Los Angeles. It was big, you know, hot new club uh dancing place and my friend jamie shoot was my manager and his manager and some other people's managers as a matter of fact um she was with cavallo ruffalo and fagnoli and they managed prince and she said if you one of these nights go with this club tramps i guarantee you're gonna run into prince and I said, oh, okay, sure, fine. And I had happened to have a membership there with my friend Philip Ehrlich already. So I had heard that he was frolicking there. And so it was just kind of one of the same old nights, you know, got dressed up, went Saturday night, go, go to Tramps, <laughs> like midnight. So I walked into Tramps with all my friends. Um, and there I saw Prince standing over by the side and with two big giant bodyguards he was by himself i just traced right over to him i poked him on the nose and i his bodyguard lurched at me and he said it's all right and i he said you just poked me on the nose i said i did i did i did because i wanted to get your attention i, I was going to ask you to dance but i didn't think you would answer me so do you want to? He just did like a 360 turnaround, like one of his like little steps and went to where the music was playing, which I knew was the dance floor. And what did they flip on? Little red Corvette, right? Okay. Oh, so wow. All like, you know, cliche is this. And uh, then immediately he couldn't, he couldn't dance to it. He, he, he was like, I'm not, he, he couldn't do it. You know, it was someone else's song on before that like cameo or something and he was all ready to get up and, and just be a regular dancing person but as soon as they flipped it onto his song he, he walked off the stage he walked off the dance floor and i followed him and we sat down and we said you want something to drink i said yes please champagne champagne came right over he leaned over to me and he said do you have a car i said i do have a car he said what kind of a car do you have i said i have a red corvette and he said okay will you take me for a ride i said yeah i'll take you for a ride he said now i said absolutely 
So we barely touched the champagne. I had like one sip of champagne. I wasn't drunk or anything, but I was pretty high on cocaine. That's for sure. So we go out and get my car and he comes around and follows me in this limousine, jumps on the limousine and gets in my drive in, in the passenger side. <clears throat> and he says, could you, could you drive me really fast now? <clears throat> I looked at him and I said, you talking to me? <laughs> <laughs> definitely drive you really fast <laughs> and I just stepped on it I was at the corner I don't know if you know California much but it was about I don't know a couple of miles I went down the road I I, I was about at almost at 120 and he screamed stop at the top of his lungs literally he, he got scared I, I finally scared him I wasn't going to stop because I, you know, I don't, I loved, I loved the speed at the time. I mean, I, I, I love, I would be I'm the first one to say, what did you want to be when you grew up? A drag racer, a race car driver, you know, like, so I, I really, I, I really, um, I love cars anyway. I really love cars. So, okay, now um, there is something that I've read about you. That's, and that's, uh, that's how I met him. Okay. Now, there's something I read about you being called the original Lady Gaga or Gwen Stefani or whatever, you know, so, someone who came after you. What do you feel about, you know, that when somebody says you're the original and, you know, then they say oh, a name like Lady Gaga or Gwen Stefani or... I don't, know. I don't understand those compliments or comments compliment i find them as compliments i don't yes. i don't find anybody that copies anything to be strange i i think that's that's a very nice compliment and that's all good yeah that's beautiful now you do have uh coming out now your biography your autobiography life is so strange missing persons frank zappa prince and beyond can you tell us a bit about that well, that's a lot of what I just told you is pretty much, <laughs> you know, and I do have a lot of poems here in the book. I dedicate them to a couple of people. One is to Warren and one is to Frank Zappa and really endearing to me. And I have a chapter in there that says um, <clears throat> uh, all about uh, <clears throat> My loves and lost, <laughs> loved and lost, as they would oh. say. <clears throat> and um, I had a lot of very nice um, dates and friends and uh, loves uh, on the way. Um, <clears throat> I was in love with Jackie Jackson for quite a long time. And some crazy stuff happened with his family that I really had to um, separate myself from him. So <clears throat> I write a little bit about that. <clears throat> and then um, I write about, well, of course, Prince, my relationship with him. I, I write about that too. I, I have quite a bit about Prince because I, I, I felt his spirit in a real different way. <clears throat> and I think that he, that that needs to be respected as long as well as all the uh, women that spend time with him and, the, and his musicians. You know, it's just, 
you, you have to respect that loyalty because it takes a lot of uh, patience. And when you work for someone else in the music business, it's not your own thing. You know, you you, you got to do it their way. And that's uh, that, that's not very natural to you in general. Right. So I was able to be gifted enough to have my able to be, do my own music, you know, as well. When uh, Prince gave me that deal, that record deal. And, and as, as I say, I just want to recap that that he had written a song called Bonnie called So Strong. And it's such a beautiful song. It's the melody, it's just, it makes you cry. Um, and I listened to it when he passed away and I realized he wrote the song about me. The whole time I was thinking he wrote it about himself when I'm singing it, thinking, wow, so I didn't sing it. so. You know, I, I don't know. I, I just had an edge about me when I sang it because I thought, you know, this, this guy's got a lot of balls <laughs> singing this song about him. And then I realized when I really opened my mind that he was talking about me. Wow. So, so powerful stuff for sure in your book. And where's the best place we can purchase it and stuff? Where can we go? Oh, well, you know, I have a lot of friends on the Facebook so I'm on there, uh, facebook.com slash Dale Bozio. And I have uh, the books I can send autographed uh, to you or your friends, whatever it is. And then, you know, some records and the eight by tens, you know, like rock stars do. You know, I have that going on. <laughs> A little bit more. Than, you know. are, are you still performing? Are you doing any performing? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I just played three shows this week uh, for my birthday. My, me and my son, we have the same birthday, March 2nd. So I played a few shows this week at the Canyon Clubs, and I'm going to play at the Whiskey in June out here in California. And I have a tour with the uh, Lost 80s, probably all the way to New York, Florida, Boston. going to go a lot of places this year. Because I, I say, you know, why not? Well, not now that everything is a little bit eased up on the people and uh, things are better in the world, we'll continue to get better. Absolutely. And one, one best place we can find info on you. Uh, best place to find info on me is pictureperfectpodcasts.com. And you can see both my shows on there. You can go to my Shopify page if you're interested in any merchandise and also learning about me or sending me an email about anything that you might have heard or with suggestions for a show. All right. Fantastic. You know, Dale, I tell you the stories that you've been able to tell you, people got to purchase the book. You just gave us snapshots of what to expect uh, reading your book. And I think it, the thing that also is interesting, you talked about the, the drug issues that you had in the eighties. How long did it take you to beat that, especially the cocaine and stuff? You know, that was, it was so easy to, to take drugs in the 80s. You didn't even have to buy it, you know? And people just had drugs. It wasn't like now. And, and, and everything was so, so uh, I don't know, corporate maybe, you know? Like, really, everything's out of control. Uh, you pay, I mean, weed is legal, but you got to pay taxes beyond belief. I could have bought a house with the amount of taxes you pay. <laughs> 
you know yeah i mean it's insane so i don't know one you know does one hand wash the other so the drugs were heavy and and so was the liquor you know and i was a playboy bunny <clears throat> at 18 years old <laughs> what do you think i was doing i was oh. drinking cognac okay i was drinking cognac since i'm 18 no um, way, Jose. When I met Frank and he had Napoleon the 18th for us for New Year's Eve, oh, forget about it. <laughs> oh, wow. All right. Well, there's lots yeah. of stories to tell for sure. People need to purchase your book. I appreciate you. I appreciate Juan. And thanks, guys, for coming on again on the show. You're so Thank great. You. Belated happy birthday, Dale. You guys, I love you so much. All right. God take care, Dale. You. Thanks for coming All on. Right. All right. You're Good listening and watching the Neil Haley Show. And we'll be back in just a moment. back here to the Neil Haley show. And anytime I see a cause like this, I want to, I want to kind of get it out there everywhere to my audience. Again, my national syndicated show. So I'm excited to welcome the program. Uh, Renee Baker, we're going to talk about Broadway carolers. Renee, thanks for stopping by. How are you? Oh, it's great to be with you. I'm, I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's always uh, great. Again, I believe it's February. Just time flies. Let's get, let's yeah. get to spring so quickly. And the first month of 2022 is out the window and hopefully we start seeing things. So my experience talking about Broadway is I've interviewed Broadway stars that have figured out other ways during the pandemic to do their craft. And I've had some really interesting people on the show regarding that. Facts. So I think it's a challenge. And so I want to find out how you came up with the name Broadway Carolers. But it's a challenge for Broadway for the last couple of years to really be able to do things because of COVID, right? Absolutely. We're Broadway is suffering. And uh, my carolers, where there's about 25 to 30 of us every year, they're all Broadway trained people that at different levels. Some of them I've been on Broadway multiple times and everything just just hobbled us at the knees when when COVID hit us, you know, and uh, we all thought that it would open back up when it came to be that first uh, Christmas caroling season of 2020. And of course, it was very, very different. And we were doing what I called, um, I'll be Zoom for Christmas, and Zoom golly golly for the Hanukkah celebrators. And uh, so we did Zoom, we really did where we could interact, but we had to have four of us in a bubble in the room with them. And, you know, we were all trying to find different different things to do. And a lot of people had to take survival jobs like like we did when we first got to New York City. You know, not so much waitressing, but things that you can do remotely and safely. You know? So and that's tough once COVID hit. So your performer explain what your life was COVID. And I know now still COVID, especially in New York now. So it's not it's not ended in some parts of the country. It has, even though there's tons of cases, but New York, again, you're back restricted in certain ways and stuff like that. How's your life? How did you try to figure out things out when it happened? Right. Well, I hadn't been actually auditioning and being in shows for a long time. I was doing more. I, I coach 
people I especially specialize in coaching kids. Okay. So I was coaching people for their, their auditions that landed them in Broadway and television and film and voiceovers and things like that. And uh, so I, I could do that remotely. <laughs> I was doing that remotely even before the pandemic. But uh, once COVID knocked everything out, there was nothing to audition for. And so uh, uh, I just thought, well, I, this is a good time to start working on just the deeper acting skills. And uh, so I promoted that, but I had to basically just cut my prices in half and try to oh, let wow. people just take advantage of that, which, you know, I did have some people who were able to do that, but there were other people suffering too, and they didn't have the money to even do that. Uh, and so, so actually one of the things that I started doing, because I had all these carolers, you know, I mean, yeah. like I said, every year there's about 25 to 30 of us. They're all poor, starving actors for the most part, even if they've been on Broadway, you know, there's nothing secure about this. No, never, so never would, in the entertainment business, anything secure. Yeah. Right. That's the one thing you can get. <laughs> but so I started just having uh, something that I called in the Zoom where it happens. And I know now that's used in other places, but at the time people thought I was so clever. Anyway, so I would just invite people, you know, like you, if I'd known you, I would have invited you. Uh, just interesting people, people in the industry that, that could just kind of shine a light on something that they did. We had, you know, uh, agents and managers and filmmakers and people like that. So each one of the characters, carolers or and and I also had other ones for my my younger my coaching students and they could ask a question of this of this interesting person and then get in front of them but also hear something really interesting so we did that for a little while you know through the worst of it and that really was a neat thing to kind of get us through that but um you know I I was looking into <laughs> I was looking into all sorts of survival jobs I I looked at Amazon I because you just go into this freak out like oh my gosh what what do I do? What can yeah. I do? And, you know, I had been driving Lyft for five weeks before. Oh my gosh. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I love to drive and I love people. Uh, so, I can tell. I can tell. So, okay. So you were doing it more of, hey, I can make some extra money and I also can network and who knows you're going to meet on in a Lyft drive. Well, you know, it's funny that you say that because I've met some really interesting people, but, you know, I'll tell you, I just thought because my work is really uneven. You've got you've got Christmas and you've got people's auditions. And, you know, I, I write human interest articles for a, a newsletter, um, but it's all very uneven. And like you say, you know, nothing's nothing's guaranteed. And so I my daughter, very, very cool, upcoming singer, songwriter and even director. Her name is Rosie R-O-Z-I-E Baker. And uh, I drove her out to Los Angeles from New Jersey. Oh my. Okay. And so, but she had this, you, have you heard of so far sounds concerts? She, no. she had arranged a concert tour just sort of up and down and all the way West. And so it took us about two weeks to get out there via her concert tour. And then I just thought I got to get home and start working, you know? So this was, this was January of 2020. Oh my. <laughs> yeah. Right. So <laughs> I drove back in three days. So <laughs> my last day I woke up in Missouri at five in the morning, there was a big snowstorm coming. I drove 16 hours and went to bed that night in New Jersey in my own bedroom. And I thought, you know what? I really am a good driver. I really love people. So I, uh, I, I should just look into this. So I started Lyft driving and long story short, on my last day of Lyft driving, I drove this fantastic doctor an emergency room doctor and I was like oh my gosh first of all thank you for your service on the front lines of this because right. this was March 26th oh my and it was early in the morning I picked him up he, he taught me so many things about COVID 
and things that I thought this could save my life. And, and in fact, a few days later, I do believe it saved my life. But he, oh, wow. um, yeah. And so I actually turned off my Lyft app after dropping him off 35 minutes later and just spoke into my mic, into my, my phone. So I didn't want to forget anything that he told me. No, and no. Uh, the next day I started to have symptoms. So I took myself off the road and I got very sick. I mean, I was living by myself. I didn't have, I didn't have to go to the hospital or anything, but um, some, some of the things that I learned from him actually saved my life. So the first day that I felt I could go out for a walk, which was like two and a half weeks later was Easter Sunday. And I went out to my, my mailbox because he had told me about a book that he'd written. And so I had ordered it that very day. And it, there it was in my mailbox. And I thought, you know, we had such a great talk. I think I'm just going to look him up on Facebook. We're going to be friends. I looked him up on Facebook. He had already died. He was America's first ER doctor to die no. of COVID-19. Oh, and I drove yeah. him home from his last hospital shift. Uh-huh. And I found out, this is how I found out. And I just, I just couldn't believe it. And all the things that he told me, and he knew I was doing radio segments. Uh, and I asked, I had asked him what I had permission to, to, to tell people, you know, and he said, you can say all of it. So I started trying to get his message out there for a little while, but that was, it was just amazing. Neither of us knew that I was driving him home from his last hospital shift. Yeah. Wow. So that's a story. So surviving the pandemic, you've told me some things, but that's a great story. Renee is definitely a storyteller and that's part of acting and that's what, and teaching people in acting, how you have a, it's like you're on an audition, which you're not Renee, you're on on my show, but let's jump to, you know, uh, Broadway killers. So they were around before the pandemic then, correct? They were around. Yes. Yes. They were auditioning. They were doing, maybe they had their survival jobs, their waitering jobs or whatever. Uh, But they were, they were auditioning. Some of them were in shows. Some of them were on tours. uh, And then everything just started to shut down. And uh, so, like I said, we did this uh, in the zoom where it happens thing. Uh, And then it got to be, we we thought Christmas was going to happen. You know, we thought that uh, there would be, there would be caroling jobs. Everything would be back to normal by then. Of course we know now that it wasn't. And, um, so uh, a lot of them went home. You know, I, I have carolers who live in Hawaii and Seattle mm-hmm. and Michigan and Maine. And, and a lot of them went home. And I only had uh, about eight of us out of the 30 or so. And we decided, well, we kind of have to be in these little bubbles that we trust. We're going to be super careful and uh, we can do these in person. You know, the four of us together doing the Zooms. We had just a couple of live caroling um events that year but um i didn't bring anybody else of course i wasn't auditioning anybody and uh and uh, we we thought it was going to get a lot better the next year right <clears throat> a lot uh, some people didn't a lot of people did not come back still they're still out there waiting oh just goodness. waiting uh, but then some of them did a lot of them started getting work right they're they're back out on tour they're on broadway again and uh and people are getting vaccinated you know and so people are telling me you know Christmas is going to be huge this year. People are so pent up that they didn't get to celebrate Christmas with their people last year. So, so um, actually I I didn't have auditions because I still thought, I don't know. And I feel very beholden to get these people work after they've done the rehearsal, you know, and put that time aside. So then all of a sudden we had, we had our, our rehearsals and then all of a sudden all the work just started to come in. <laughs> I had to turn down some jobs. I had to get another soprano. Uh, and then, so, so we were caroling and it was great. It was amazing to be able to sing with people again. We, we were, we had masks on when we were inside, 
lot of caroling was outside. Um, and then people started to say, you know what? I was just told I was exposed to somebody with COVID. And so this is getting really late in the season. Oh, goodness. <laughs> and, you know, and, and I've got a skeleton staff at that point because some of them have, have already gone home for, for Christmas or wherever. And so it was really, really hard. The hardest part of my job this past December was actually replacing people. And then, but, but we had to do the right thing. We had to do what we wanted. We, we would have wanted the people around us to do, to, to be safe for everybody. And then toward the very end, close to Christmas, that's when the gigs started to get canceled. Because oh. the cook or the staff at the club had gotten COVID, you know, so one, one of the last ones I went to, I was an hour on my way up to Connecticut when I got the call. Oh, my goodness. So is this a year round thing or only during Christmas? Well, the Christmas is usually just during Christmas, although I do, um, especially remotely now, I'll do like somebody's book club or their Christmas in July where I talk. I, I'm a carol historian as well. So okay. I'll talk about these fascinating histories of carols. I'll sing it with them and liken it to stuff that's going on today. Um, <clears throat> but uh, what we're what we've been doing lately is we've been getting called to do things that are not Christmas at different times of year, like the welcome back to Madison Avenue, because People were afraid to go shopping. So people want to have something that draws them back out into the shopping areas. And so uh, a lot of times when people are traveling to New York, that's where we're based is New York City. Uh, they, they want, they're interested in Broadway and they're interested in, in New York themed things. So that's what we sing about in four part harmony. Oh, wow. So that's really uh, interesting information so during the year so you said this is a year-round thing christmas uh, yeah. hardware carolers so what do you so are you basically preparing for the next year or is it raising money what are you doing throughout the rest of the time i should be raising money that's what i should be doing <laughs> we we um we actually just in the past few months created the wenceslas fund which is on the on the website broadwaycarolers.com um it's because there are places that we'd really like to go that do not have a budget. And as I said, you know, performers, these Broadway quality performers are, are mostly, you know, on very shoestring budgets. And if they right. have to choose between singing for free at a nursing home or doing their waiter job or whatever, their survival job, they're gonna have to take the survival job, but they really want to be able to sing for, for these people that just, they don't have the budget, but they have the need. Uh, and they have the desire for the, the spirit. So, so, you know, Good King Wenceslas, you know who that was? And he went out on the 26th of every December, Boxing Day, yes. right? Uh, Feast of St. Stephen. And he would go out and uh, bring food and uh, firewood and blankets and wine to the poorest in his uh, constituency out there. Even in the, the worst of the weather, it's actually a true story. That's my favorite Christmas carol, Good King Wenceslas, where they tried to tell him one day, come on, it's, it's, it, the weather's too bad. Let's just do it tomorrow. He said, no, come on, let's go. <laughs> and they went and, and they would do that and enrich the lives of these people. And that's really what we've wanted to do too. But Boxing Day also, a lot of people will know that's the day that you give the tips to the doormen to the servants, you know, uh, things like that. And so that is the charity to which people can actually donate so that we can actually, it'll, it'll help defray the cost of getting carolers into these nursing homes and places where- That's they, great. Yeah. 
So, so, so great mission. So it keeps you busy. So you're already looking at your ways of raising money. You're always looking at your gigs for the next year. So you have to book them up fast, right? Your goal, how many gigs do you do a year? If you would look at that, you know. Well, uh, you know, most of it, of course, does happen. The Christmas ones do happen during during the holidays and they'll, they'll start usually early November because that's when the shopping centers want to get people to start thinking about shopping. And so they'll have the tree lightings and, and the openings, the star lightings, and they'll have the carolers out there. And then we'll often carol right up through New Year's, New Year's Day, sometimes a little beyond that. Um, it's really hard to say how many jobs. I mean, last year, there were a lot more than I thought. The year before that, there was only, you know, about a dozen. But sometimes in, in usual uh, years, I, I might have five groups out at one time. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that might happen several times throughout just the month of December. So I, I can't really give you a number about how many gigs. I mean, during the rest of the year, there's not that many, honestly. You know, there's... But it's the process of booking, right? Because that's six months ahead. Not so really there's only like a down season of three months, if anything. And then you're in the process always of auditioning and all those things. So it's a constant go. Auditioning, the rehearsing. Right now it's like collecting the costumes and getting them to the dry cleaners and seeing, do I need to spruce them up? You know, do I need to replace the the sparkly buttons? It's a definitely thing. So definitely people know where they can raise money. where you can help the cause and also if they want to book it so you're going all over the northeast it sounds like for this right right we're in connecticut we're in new jersey we're in in new york new york state and also now in uh, the philadelphia area oh fantastic so where is the best place people can find information on you and learn more about you broadwaycarolers.com is the best place and and uh there's only one l in carolers uh, it's you can spell it with two. That wouldn't be wrong, but uh, it's more correct with one, and that's what we went with. Broadwaycarolers.com. Yeah. Awesome. And your website? And my website is ReneeBaker.com. That's R-E-N-A-E Baker.com. And then you can find out more than you ever wanted to know about Renee Baker. All right, fantastic. And last question for you uh, regarding, I guess, uh, this: what projects do you have going on that people can follow you and check out what you're doing? What else is going uh, on? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, you know, I'm, I'm actually writing a one woman show that's got a very clever idea. And hopefully I'll have that done sometime this year. But I've been dreaming it up for a long time. And it's called A Christmas Carol Er. And so that I, you can't really look that up just yet. But that's a little teaser. It's going to be a really neat one woman show. And it, it is about uh, a woman who runs a caroling group. Fantastic. And, so you got things going. So people check you out. Anything else? Uh, you, you're, I, you're I an love author it too, you, right? You're an author okay. as well, right? You have books? Yeah, oh, right, right. I wrote a book called Defeating Scrooge. Oh, thank you for reminding me who I am. <laughs> Defeating Scrooge is is really, uh, because, I, you know, some people think I've got the, the corner on the market. Right. It's the spirit, you know, but there was one year that it was just gone and it was really painful, it turned out. And, and the way I pulled myself out of that actually was to start studying a carol a week in depth in ways I never had before. And it was absolutely fascinating. And I got my spirit back and it was just so helpful that I thought I got to let other people know about this. So I wrote right. about it. And uh, yeah, so there's the defeating Scrooge and then there's also the audio book and uh, there's the workbook and workshops and things like that all around defeating Scrooge and Christmas spirit. All right. Well, we appreciate you coming on. I really enjoyed that. This is a great time. And I think that one of the ideas I'll offer is Christmas in July. You could get a lot more gigs in July. So think about it. Not just the remote. Yeah. You never know. So because Christmas lives in 
you're wrong and who knows once this pandemic finally lifts and everyone's tired of covid then it'll be time for a big really even growth even further for what you're doing and people definitely need to raise money as well to for this tremendous cause for people who can't afford it because again there's so many people that need this christmas cheer so we appreciate you coming by thank you so much neil i really appreciate being here with you thanks a lot all right you're listening and watching the neil haley show we'll be back in just a moment we're back to the neil haley show here on the total celebrity segment and i'm excited to welcome the program candace maxwell from Medea's Homecoming, going to be coming on Netflix very soon this week. How are you? And thanks for stopping by. I am great. Thank you for having me, Neil. It's so nice to meet you. It's nice to meet you as well. So let's talk about really quickly when you got this opportunity, how amazing when when you got the opportunity to audition for this. Because again, we all love Medea to the point and and, and just anything Tyler Perry, come on now. Your your reaction had to be so huge when you got the audition, but then once you got the role. Oh, Neil, it was amazing. And the funny thing is that I did actually did not audition. This was a direct offer from uh, the studio head um, at Tyler Perry Studios. I had previously worked with them filming All the Queen's Men. I played DJ Dime. And from my work on All the Queen's Men, I was connected at the studio and I got a phone call on a Saturday morning and it was from Michelle Sneed. And she said, hey, Candace, uh, we would like to offer you a role in Medea, um, Ellie, as as Medea's um, granddaughter. Are you available? And I was like, um, yeah, I'm available. Like, is, is your schedule open? And I'm like, I, I will drop everything to be there um, to be a part of the Medea franchise. So before that, you worked with Tyler Perry. Was what was your experience working with Tyler before getting this opportunity for this this movie? Well, I was working with Tyler on um, a television show that he executive produces called All the Queen's Men. That's on BET Plus. So working with him on a TV show. It's very fast paced because we're filming a lot of episodes in a short amount of time. So you don't really get as much one-on-one time with him. But filming this movie was so immersive because I got to not only work with Tyler as a director, but also as uh, a co-star and a character. So I felt like I got to work with him and and learn him in a a gentler way. Because, you know, Medea is a badass. I don't yeah. know if I can say that, but yes, she's can. also a sweetheart, you know, and, and she's my grandmother in the film. So I got to, to get to know another side of Tyler, which was nice. So this, which side of Tyler do you like working with more? most? <laughs> I'm going to throw you right in there. What, what do you like? You rather <laughs> being on camera with him or off or it's, it's just different experience. I love on camera, Tyler. He's so unpredictable and free and, you know, like, Um, he'll just throw things at you. He's an improv king. So he can have the whole room, the crew, the cast laughing and cracking up and then, you know, bring it back serious and get right back to work. So he's just great to work with on camera and as a director. And he pulls a lot out of his talent. And especially where he, so he's wearing almost both doing both when he's on camera too. So it's pretty interesting how he's able to take the intense level, which we all are specifically when we're trying to get a production together and everything, and then bam, okay, now he's acting. And then you get the funny part and you're like, wow. And so that's the amazing thing of his growth process, Candace, when you think about specifically enough where he came from as an actor to growing this empire. And Mm -hmm. definitely, I'm sure everyone that works with him learns so much. Do you feel he's a kind of person that 
you really can learn from in the process of working with them because some people, you know, they stay to themselves. But I think from what I've talked to other people that have been on BET shows and different things, they've just told me he's just an amazing leader and uh, teacher. An amazing leader and an amazing teacher. I fully agree. And it's through example. It's through just being in his vicinity and watching how he moves and watching how everybody that he works with, it's it's excellence always, you know, like we care about every hair, every line, every clothing detail, you know, he, we're so um, detail oriented and efficient and just watching him work is, it's like magical to see everything come together. So I will say that it's magical. And I mean, one little tidbit is that we pray every morning before we start filming and regardless of your, your um, religion or spiritual background, I think that's a great way that we start the day is everybody's on the same page. We're going in with great intentions and we just wanna make the audience laugh and, and connect. All right, so tell me the premise of the, sh of the movie without giving it away, just like your role as you kind of talked a little bit about and specifically the movie and what to expect. Yes, so I play Ellie, Medea's granddaughter in a Medea homecoming. And it centers around, uh, of course, Medea and her iconic home. So her great grandson is coming home for his college graduation. And while you're there, some family secrets and drama unfolds. So you'll get to see all of that when it comes out on Netflix and that's the 25th. And so the drama, there's always going to be drama, right? Medea? It's family. It's family. And I mean, yeah, I think with anybody, whether Medea or not, regardless of race or religion or creed, we can all relate to a family, family drama and the layers of love that and the dynamics there. And that's what's so entertaining is watching the family dynamic and, and then, you know, Tyler bringing in social justice issues into the film um, and without making it too heavy because, you know, we were all dealing with 2020, 2021, this pandemic and, um, and, and politics and all of these heavy things. And Tyler just wanted to talk about serious issues but you know, in through comedy. And I think that's one of the best outlets we have to talk about serious issues is comedy. Yes, comedy is the best to kind of get us from our hard days and challenging days to just laugh. And that's yeah. what I love about comedy is just laughing. Now, is this your first experience in a comedy or where you're in more comedy or is this something we're gonna see more of you? You know, so this is my first feature film. So not only is that exciting, but to be a part of an iconic film and an iconic franchise is even more exciting. But comedy specifically, I would love to do more. It's something that I, I never thought that that I could do. But, you know, Tyler trusted me to come into this world and, and he gave me the opportunity to improv and to try things outside of my comfort zone. And that's what I really appreciate the most is, is getting an opportunity to grow as an actress. So I would love to do more comedy. Um, and it's kind of exciting to do that because I'm like, oh, I'm such a serious actress, but, People want to laugh and we want to feel good. So I'm excited to tap more into that market. And being the granddaughter, you got to be in the next movie, right? Hopefully. That, the, <laughs> that the right in the next movie. Because there's no I would love the franchise to. is not ending. It's not good. It's going for a lot longer. So now you're at least part of the family. So that's mm -hmm. got to feel great. And 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 I think that as I've heard interviewing other people that have worked with Tyler Perry, ultimately it's a family when you go on this set, it's a family. It's, you have to have a family atmosphere and a lot of how he 
you know, puts his movies and how he portrays them and gives certain storylines always goes back to family at the end. Yes. I, I completely agree with that. It always goes back to family and that's the environment that I've been able to feel at Tyler Perry studios as a working actress. I've been able to feel this sense of I'm coming home when I come to work there. I feel comfortable. I feel confident. And it has given me so much ease and reassurance and um, I'm ready to grow more, you know, within the industry, but to call Tyler Perry studios, my, my home and the place where I started my career is um, for me, it just holds a special place in my heart. And what do you want to say to all the Tyler Perry fans, especially Medea's homecoming, Medea fans, about you being part of the new family, meaning now <laughs> you're going to be welcomed? What are they going to think of you without giving anything away and say hello to them? Because that's the big thing. You're doing all these interviews to say hello before the 25th, then yes. you're part of the family. I know. Well, one, they're gonna love Ellie. <laughs> when I was reading that character and when when um when when I got the phone call and they told me a little bit about Ellie, you know, they said she's the younger sister, but she's mischievous and she's fun and she has a heart of gold, but she's got a point of view, you know. So Ellie is just a bright little light. She stands for her family, she stands for her community, but she's Medea's granddaughter, so she's got a little sass. She's got a little attitude and she's not afraid to, to say what she needs to say when it's time. All right. That's a great <laughs> yeah. way to introduce. And where can people follow you and stuff? Where so that people are oh yes. So across um my Instagram and my Twitter, it's both at Candace Maxwell. Candace C-A-N-D-A-C-E-M-A-X-W-E-L-L underscore. So you can follow me on Instagram and on Twitter. Now, are there other projects you can tell us about right now, or are they just in the works and you can't say yet coming up for you? Oh, yeah, I got something good. <laughs> so um, we just wrapped on season two of All the Queen's Men, which fans can check out now on BET+. Plus. So you can check out season one, and season two will be coming very soon. And a side note, Tyler did direct um, the first 10 episodes of season two, so you guys will be able to, to see more of the collaboration, you know, that I'm having with Tyler and, and the work that we're creating together. But the show is going to just knock everybody's socks off. So if you haven't seen season one yet, go check it out so you can be ready for season two. So Neil, you, you too, Neil. Okay, I will. And <laughs> all the different things I have to catch up on for sure. Now, yeah. as, as an actor, what are your goals? Like, where do you see yourself? What do you want to grow to? Like, what, do, what goals and aspirations do you have? Always ask oh. questions like that, because that's the thing. We always have to raise the bar to go to the next level. And where are we going next? This is such a great opportunity. But now you have to take that to the next level. What are you thinking? Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more, Neil. Um, I came into this business and this career one just pure I love acting I love being on the stage I'm a theater New York City theater kid so I grew up doing theater but I see myself um working with the best of the best and and, and building my acting repertoire dramas comedies sitcoms um theater I would love to work in the theater again in New York City give me the Emmy give me the Grammy give me the Oscar give me the Tony that, I want to do it all so you say Grammy do so do you sing Oh, honey, I, yes, absolutely. I want to do it all. And I'm, and I'm here to do the work, you know? I want to create iconic um, films and stories and characters that people can relate to and live vicariously through. 
I love it, your, your energy, and you have those goals and keep manifesting them and it's going to happen for sure. And we appreciate again, you stopping by and uh, everyone needs to check out Medea's Homecoming February 25th, only exclusively on Netflix. Appreciate on Netflix! Netflix, <laughs> that gets you excited, right? Netflix, now that's the house and you know, everyone is going to watch this. I'm sure you're telling everyone and then wait to where you're going to get recognized even more. Once you get into oh something God. like Netflix, be ready. It's a, it's a global audience. And Medea, we are ready. We are so ready. So uh, and I'll, be, I'll, be in, I'll be tuning in on February 25th as well. Uh, take care and thanks for stopping by. Thank you, Neil. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.